Hello, I am Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tana. And welcome to another episode of the 905er. A common refrain on this podcast has been criticism of the communication strategy surrounding COVID-19 from our public health officials in this province. Infection numbers have skyrocketed, and it appears that we are quickly losing the plot on this pandemic. Confusion about how and what to do around COVID-19 is rampant through the region and the province as a whole. Where that is most prevalent is in the region of Peel. Numbers there are amongst the worst in the province and do not seem to be getting any better. It should not be surprising then to learn that a region where 60% of the population does not consider English to be their native language, we are having issues communicating to households on how to keep themselves and each other safe during this pandemic. This past week, one doctor wrote an opinion piece in the Toronto Star highlighting the lack of coordination with multicultural media in Peel region to communicate vital information regarding COVID-19 to these communities. Dr. Amanpreet Barr is a general surgery resident at the University of Toronto, and she joins us today to give us her perspective and experience in communicating to these communities in the 905 region. Please have a listen. Okay, well, I'd like to start off by thanking uh, Dr. Amanpreet uh, Brar for uh, joining us today on the 905. Thank you, uh, Dr. Brar, for taking the time of your uh, of your busy day to uh, come on for uh, for our chat today. Yeah, thank you for my having me today and uh, helping amplify like messages further regarding importance of the use of multicultural uh, media. Uh, well, absolutely, it's been something we've we've been talking about previously on this podcast. It was just the the seeming disconnect between a, a coherent communication strategy uh, and the province at large, especially in the 905 region, uh, to communicate the the importance the important uh, strategies that we should all be taking to help uh, mitigate the effects of COVID nineteen. Um, I'd like to, if we could start off, I'd just like for you to summarize kind of what you've learned. Uh, and your knowledge amongst uh, uh, the knowledge among, of the pandemic amongst uh, the various communities in Peel region, and just kind of this this seeming disconnect between the facts on the ground and what they're being told uh, from public health uh, officials. Yeah, so um, I would say um, you know my sort of like uh, grassroots works mostly been among South Asian community members, um, but I feel. Speaking to anecdotally to other members of other communities, like marginalized communities, in particular racialized communities, a lot of these, um, you know, themes are very similar across the board. So I would say, speaking about Peel, what I really learned from my own lived experiences and chatting with my family, and then from my social media campaign called Humans in Brampton. Uh, has been really the stark like inequities that uh, have exacerbated the pandemic burden in Peel region. Um, whether we talk about workplace inequities, whether that's healthcare inequities, or uh, looking at language barriers and inequities regarding to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I'm wondering if maybe like are, are we are we starting to see some rumors and misinformation taking root in these communities? Um, because uh, I know in in your opinion piece that you wrote for the Toronto Star, you were you were talking about how rumors about the efficacy of the vaccine are going around that there's so many side effects and and it causes more harm than it does good, et cetera, which are are all uh, falsehoods as far as we know. Um, 
and really, uh, do, do you see this as uh, doing a bit of a, a setback on efforts to for public health to go in and try and vaccinate and educate and and properly inform uh, all uh, members of uh, of Ontario as to how to uh, best conduct themselves in the middle of this pandemic? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily it's misinformation. I would say it's lack of information more so because really my piece was not, it was essentially about how there's lack of information and lack of engagement of multicultural and ethnic media um, by public health officials as well as government bodies. So I would say my focus was more on that. And I think that's kind of what has emerged as a, an important theme. Um, because like I said, that a lot of people do rely on ethnic and multicultural media for information. And if public health officials and physicians aren't going on those uh, platforms to provide that information, then one can imagine how lack of information would cause confusion and disconnect in the community. So I think that's really the big problem. And that was really my focus is that we really need to engage multicultural media and use these really valuable uh, platforms in a very meaningful way. Okay. Um, sorry. We just, we just lost you for a second there on the, on the connection. Um, I, I, I would say, I would, my, I guess my fault to that would be uh, is would you qualify this as a failure of public health, uh, not necessarily for Peel, but maybe for all of Ontario, just to properly communicate uh, and have a comprehensive communication plan to communicate the the importance of, uh, you know, masking and social distance and and washing your hands and all, all those things that we that we're doing, to make sure that all people of Ontario are are informed about how to conduct themselves in this pandemic. Yeah, I, I would say it's like even broader than Ontario, because when we, um, you know, look at some of the uh, other communities, even in Alberta, like um, there was focus on Northeast Calgary, for example, in Alberta. And we know even there, like there's a significant proportion of marginalized, racialized, um, you know, population there. And um, there was a lot of blaming that happened, particularly in Alberta around Northeast Calgary community. And I think what we really, we miss from those narratives are A, that these populations and communities face a lot of inequities, whether that's healthcare, whether that's workplace. And on top of that, they're not getting the messaging. And I, and I think um, a lot of it is that people are unaware of how much the reach of multicultural media there is. Um, I don't think that has been measured. And people assume that if you speak and know English, you probably um, watch mainstream media. And I think, you know, we need to also keep in mind that even people when they know English, understand English, they might not always be listening to mainstream media at home. Um, they might be watching more multicultural uh, media. So it's really important even you know, beyond pandemic to use these platforms to provide really critical public um, health related information or all like public communication. I was just going to to uh, just more on that point to an extent that uh, I mean, ironically, when we started this podcast to an extent because we, we felt there's a real media, uh, a lack of media coverage of the 905 region. But ironically, actually, there is some really strong, powerful and effective uh, media in the 905 region, it just tends to be to sort of multicultural communities of various sorts and not mm -hmm. perhaps uh, the kind of, you know, Western European origin uh, 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 community so much. Yeah. Um, 
and I think maybe some of our listeners would benefit from from you know understanding just how important the, these avenues are for for and not just for for recent immigrants, but for um, people who may have been in Canada for for several generations, but are still intimately tied to, uh, for instance, a Punjabi uh, community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you could speak some more about that. Yeah, I think absolutely. And even beyond like Punjabi community, I know, you know, I was reading just some of the comments that were made to my piece. And it was amazing to read how much it resonated, whether people, you know, were talking about Caribbean media, people were talking about Portuguese media, um, you know, like all multicultural media in general, like people are very connected to their roots. um, And sometimes it's not about just English and um, people want to stay in touch with the culture and, you know, they tend to then, um, you know, when they turn on TV at home in evening, um, they turn on the multicultural shows. Um, so I think it's more than just the language, even though language barrier is an aspect of it, but I think it's also more than that. And I think that's why these platforms are so important, um, you know, nationally, not just the PL region. So do do these uh, media outlets have sort of routine uh, communications, say, with public health officials? I mean, you know, uh, CTV or CBC obviously will have their journalists who, who go to press releases and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, are these uh, outlets able to do that kind of thing, or, or does the government or, or health um, health administration, so to speak, reached out to them in, in in an attempt to make sure that those those channels are reached? Yeah, I think there is somewhat effort made, but it's very minimal, I would say, from at least my anecdotal experience. Like I said, I don't have much data to back up this. But anecdotally, from what I've heard and seen uh, being on some of these channels is that I think there's not enough engagement. And what's interesting is that, you know, the way I like connected with was through a politician, uh, not a politician to speak, but like one of the persons who works in politics. And that's kind of how I got in touch with some of these media channels. And so it's interesting that more politicians use these multicultural medias when it, you know, comes to, you know, promoting their messaging, maybe perhaps during an election campaign, but maybe not so much by public health officials. Um, so I think it's really important that, you know, these medias are engaged at all levels and for all public communication. I, fi- I find your point there very uh, interesting, uh, Dr. Brar, that uh, be- because just for a bit of background for myself, I-, I did used to work in politics and a big part of uh, a communication strategy for all politicians was to, especially in the Peel region, was to utilize the multicultural uh, mm-hmm. media outlets to, you know, promote party policy and and you want your face in the in certain publications and et cetera. And I find it shocking that that attitude didn't translate into communicating, uh, you know, information of a global pandemic, especially mm-hmm. now that we're seeing mm-hmm. numbers starting to rise astronomically, like exponentially in Peel region. I'm finding it shocking that this isn't an intricate part of a public health communication strategy. Yes, exactly. Like, I think that's what was interesting to me as well. Like um, that almost like on weekly, daily basis, right? Politicians would use these platforms, but it's not been the same to not to same level or even remotely same um, when it comes to public health messaging. And like, this is life saving critical information for these communities. 
I was uh, just looking at the article you, you wrote in the uh, Star uh, earlier this week, I believe it came out. Um, and one of the things I'm, I, I noticed was um, that, uh, uh, you know, into the void that the, the the official government channels and and sort of scientific physicians uh, uh, are failing to fill, we have... You know, homeopathy and alternative, you know, so-called alternative healthcare providers, uh, who are actually quite good at using these channels to to uh, reach communities. Um, so, so is that that's obviously something you've you've noticed. So, if um, do you, and do you think there's a direct correlation between that and you know, obviously Peel, I believe now. Uh, you know, really in the whole province is, is kind of streets ahead of, in the worst possible way, streets ahead of, of the other regions in terms of spread of COVID. Do you think this is really a, a direct correlation? Um, to be honest, without numbers, like you can't make direct correlations in my opinion. So, I mean, this could be part of it for sure, but I have noticed that definitely the alternative care providers use these platforms much more um, now, whether that's to do with funding and payments, like that is data, again, I don't have. Um, so you can only extrapolate, um, you know, whether these are actually advertisements that are run on these medias, like paid advertisements. Um, it's, it's like really unclear to me overall. Um, but absolutely, I've heard from the community members and even on one of the radio shows, heard those messages myself while I was awaiting my turn to speak speak to the channel, uh, the messaging from alternative care providers. And apparently they, they do a really good job of using this media to reach out to the community. Um, but it's not been, the same has not been by, you know, physicians and the medicine community and the government bodies when it comes to the pandemic. And, and, and like, well, like you said, and like Joel emphasized, it's, uh, I, I, I know that, that the parties are highly aware of the effectiveness of these channels when they're talking about party politics and elections. Um, so it's somewhat disgraceful that they kind of, to most put it in the most charitable way, haven't connected the dots to think, well, this is also something that the government needs to be doing on a routine basis. Um, now, I mean, uh, obviously we have seen the statistics particularly high in, in Peel, uh, uh, you know, other reasons, explanations I've heard connected with that are, are um, the fact that the, the the kind of areas that uh, people in in, um, in multicultural communities are working in. So that will be tend to be well, a jobs that you can't do from home, um, and be some of the lowest paid, and um, uh, perhaps uh, some of the places which are you know major warehouses that are seeing quite significant outbreaks. Uh, 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 is that uh, something that you've experienced at all? Yeah, I've written a few pieces on that, on particularly on um, you know workplace inequities and you know the social media campaign that my team had started um, was actually focused on this was to highlight the you know the workplace uh, you know inequities that have really exacerbated the pandemic in communities like Peel. Um, we know that, you know, for example, like some of the biggest warehouses, um, food processing, they're all clustered in Peel. And looking at the outbreak data, like, you know, a significant 
uh, proportion of workplace outbreaks in Peel have been in industrial setting. So we know that's a that's a huge risk for transmission and an explanation why these communities are so hard hit. Um, and so it's it's really unfortunate. And particularly, I'd also uh, mentioned in one of my star pieces regarding temporary employment agencies um, that are you know quite prevalent in Peel, I would say. And the the temporary employment workers don't have any job contracts and there's a lot of migration of workers between workplaces um, and so you can imagine that's a huge potential for transmission and workplace outbreaks and I had worked on that piece with uh, Dr. Lawrence Lowe who's the Peel Public Health Officer and they're now exploring that as one of the uh, you know factors for uh, transmission and, and work, work, workplace outbreaks in Peel. Well, that, that's fascinating, and, and probably something that we that deserves almost is another episode all to itself. But um, uh, it, it strikes me just, and this is me just speaking on a rather superficial level, that wherever we find poor workplace um, conditions, uh, we have seen some of the worst outbreaks. I mean, I'm thinking of the the uh, the uh, uh, temporary workers, so, you know, sort of. Uh, doing harvesting crops and so on in, in, in southern Ontario uh, who also had uh, significant problems um, so it, it it's really been a, a disease uh, um, uh, in many ways which which highlights the inequities in our society um, and and shows us uh, just where we've gone wrong you know the things that we haven't been handling correctly such as long-term care uh, such as uh, you know, fair and healthy workplaces um it, it seems to touch on all of these uh, yeah absolutely um, i think the pandemic has really unmasked a lot of um you know issues as well as inequities that have been impacting these uh, vulnerable communities for a long time and i think the pandemic has just unmasked that now, I mean, something I have a little bit of experience of was was just um, local government and how it um, reaches out to uh, newer communi- community members. Um, uh, just in my uh, where I live in Burlington, um, and my experience was what was that local government really doesn't uh, if, unless you go and knock on local government's door, they're not really going to reach out to you. Is that um, is that something you you you've, you would say would be recognisable in in say uh, uh, you know it, it, across Peel as well? Um, I I have to say that I'm I've actually been very um, uh, impressed and also really happy to see the engagement, particularly of the mayor and uh, Dr. Lawrence Lowe. Like you know, they have worked. I've started to work very closely with them, actually, in fact, and particularly with Dr. Lawrence Lowe. And in fact, um, just a few days ago, Dr. Lawrence Lowe and I did a Punjabi radio interview together, and it worked really well, like, where, you know, he came on that show and provided information. And, of course, people, like, you know, see him as the most credible source of information and uh, uh, look up to him. And I was able to translate a lot of that information. And I think that worked really well. And we're hoping to do that in future. So I think at a at a very local level, there is actually starting to be a lot of engagement. Um, so I'm very happy about that. And I think there's 
definitely needs to be more like sort of engagement at a federal and you know at a, also at a provincial level to address a lot of these issues. Um, but I've been very happy in terms of the local engagement um, at the by the mayor and the uh, public health officer. Um, so, uh, Doctor Brar, I, I wanted to ask you as as kind of you've I think you've kind of fallen into this role as a communicator um, uh, to to the uh, South Asian community a, a bit. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe can maybe this be anecdotal and maybe this might be out of your of your realm of knowledge. But I'm wondering if you can kind of give a sense of the communities that we're trying to reach with this information. Do they feel like they're being connected or being listened to or heard to heard from, I should say, by, um, by the powers that be, um, because we, we've, I bring it up, uh, most because the Roland kind of hinted on this beforehand that there's criticism of, uh, community of, you know, the, the numbers seem to be rising, rising. Um, but they're the good deal members of these communities are in, uh, vulnerable work working conditions and i'm just wondering we constantly hear fix it fix it fix it but i'm I'm curious now that we know that there's a bit of a gap in the communication strategy if we're hearing from the other side in terms of what they need uh to help uh look after themselves and their families uh, uh from from them yeah, I think there's definitely um, disconnect for sure. And specifically regarding workplace and what's essential during the pandemic. And so there's been a lot of mixed messaging to the community for sure. And I've, people have told me that, um, you know, particularly like what is really essential? Like that's been a question that a lot of people have asked me because when I, you know, tell them like you need to not go out, you need to follow the precautions. They ask me, you know, very reasonably so their question is well i'm manufacturing like luxury clothing or like i'm manufacturing like a really non-essential item um why are we being asked to do that right and at the same time we are being told then to follow these precautions and so they're they're confused um as to you know it's very like a lot of mixed messaging for them really um, and a lot of it is to do with the workplace. Um, a lot of people do tell me that everything is open, essentially, in Peel, and particularly in all the manufacturing industry is has been open, particularly around now, like the wave two. I think wave one, there were more closures, but this time around, everything's been open. Peel's been on a lockdown for weeks and weeks, um, but all the non-essential manufacturing, packaging, assembling, Everything has been ongoing. It has not stopped at all. So there's a lot of disconnect, a lot of miscommunication for sure. Is it, do you sense that there's a um, a bit of fear or um, uh, I, I would guess categorize it as fear on the part of our, the South Asian community in, in Peel that they are being left by the wayside? Um, you know, that they're, they're, they're being sent into these places to go manufacture, as you said, you know, high end shirts and wares and, and whatever have you. Um, and the cost is increased COVID numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's even beyond South Asian community. Like, um, I think all like workers, um, you know, they feel that way, like whether that's delivery drivers, whether that's um, manufacturing. I think all the um, workers do feel that way from what I've at least heard from them, that um, 
you know, they, they're confused about how much their health is really valued because they're being asked to do these jobs um, during a, a lockdown in a global pandemic, um, even when some of these jobs don't seem essential to you, to them. Uh, but they obviously are afraid because they need to continue working to put food on their own table. Um, and so it's it's really hard and um, it's a very tough position for them to be in. Well, I can imagine it would be, be tough for them because you know they, they would feel so alone like that's that's the worst thing to do is we i think we something we, we can all um appreciate is that feeling of isolation especially in a time like this um and, and to even to be more so to feel like you're being taken advantage of for a reason that you're not you're not certain is got to be well frustrating to say the least mm-hmm. yeah for sure. I'm just uh, looking at your, your Twitter feed right now, uh, uh, and I should mention we should mention to listeners that your the account is uh, uh, at Brampton COVID on Twitter, and uh, mm-hmm. lots of excellent information there. Um, uh, and just mentioning that you know if you, if you if you're basically a casual worker who's depending on on a call from a from an agency every day, uh, and you get sick. Um, you are very reluctant um, to to not go to work um, uh, because it was, you know if you're getting paid fourteen dollars an hour, you can't you can't turn down that fourteen dollars an hour. You know it's it's such an uh, it's something that I mean as you may or may not tell from from my accent. I mean I, I I'm an immigrant myself. I came to Canada as an adult and from from a country that had just universal sick pay. If you're sick, you get paid and you stay at home. <laughs> um, there may be limits to that, but, but in essence, you, you never have to think, well, I'm not well, but I need to get paid. Um, and I, I was astonished to find that here. That's not how it works. Uh, it, it really, I mean, one of the things I, I hope from COVID is maybe we get to understand these really dreadful practices that we have where we ask people to make a decision between eating and doing something dangerous like going to work with an infection now that was true in the past with influenza or anything else yeah. uh, but it's triply true now of course um yeah. have you um i mean it, do you uh, during the course of your work sort of meet these workers who are are who are put into that um that situation of making those kinds of decisions yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I worked as a temporary agency worker myself uh, when I immigrated to Canada um, in factories. And I remember I used to be waiting every evening for a phone call about whether I'm going to be called to work next day or not. Um, and it was it was stressful to like wait till like 7 p.m., um, you know, to find out if I work or not next day. And then the next day, you have so much performance pressure um, that if you don't perform well or you don't meet the productivity target, um, you're not going to be called the next day. And so that was a story like 10 years ago, pre-pandemic, and it continues to be the same during a global pandemic. And I can't imagine like the pressure these workers feel, particularly temporary workers, um, because they don't have a paid sick leave. They don't have a job security. They don't even have a job security for one day, um, you know, mm-hmm. about a week. Um, so it's, it's really unfortunate and I think something needs to be done, particularly around worker protection and temporary agencies, um, because it's, um, 
it's really uh, exploitation of workers in many ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely, uh, I, I agree with you on, the, on that uh, point there. Um, I, I was, I wonder if maybe you might want to touch upon, um, the, the, I've noticed on my social media feeds, the number of doctors and epidemiologists who are frustrated with the lack of, of data. We're, we're like, we're, we're kind of going into, um, I think we're, we're plus 4,000 new cases today in Ontario. Um, numbers are, are going up. The premier went to the microphone today to say, um, the, the situation isn't getting better. It's getting worse. And we're, we're, we're going to need to start thinking of some drastic actions. Um, yet no, but we don't really seem to know where these numbers are coming from. We're told it's not in restaurants. It's not in the schools and that workplaces are, are, you know, like the, the major, the major factories are okay to stay open under essential guidelines. Um, as a doctor, are, do you do you, do you see any patterns in the data, or are you as clueless as the rest of us in terms of where exactly are these infections coming from, and an idea of how how to possibly adjust to to really start flattening this curve, if that's possible at all now? Um, I mean, it's really hard to say. Like you know, um, I leave in the hands of the expert, expert epidemiologists and public health officials to really pinpoint where the numbers are coming from. I mean, I can only really speak based on most of the qualitative data uh, from our campaign and interviews and stories with workers um, that workplaces are definitely a huge source of outbreaks. Um, We know that in Peel, you know, they investigated, um, I believe, over 1,500 outbreaks, workplace outbreaks, and 33% of those were in manufacturing and industrial setting. So we know workplace outbreaks are uh, contributing a significant amount. um, And where the rest of the numbers are coming, it's unclear at this point to me. um, But uh, definitely workplace outbreaks are a huge contributor. You think we need to up, step up our our testing and our, our our research game in this province just to get a better handle of where where we need to focus our attention? Yeah, hundred percent. We we definitely need to do more, um, and we need to understand workplace outbreaks better. So far, we're relying purely on qualitative data, as Dr. Lawrence Lowe just mentioned in his last Peel um, conference, uh, I believe two days ago, that they so far mostly relied on the data from like a social media campaign, Humans in Brampton, to get a better understanding of like temporary agency workers. But I think we need more quantitative data to really understand what's going on. And I think that would also be helpful even in pre, no, sorry, in pre, like uh, post-pandemic, like recovery phase, as well as um, to address the workplace injuries, like post-pandemic as well. Um, it's just my, my I'm going to say this is my last question for uh, for this interview. Um, going forward, what would you say would be the best thing that we can do um, to to step up our communication to make sure that we're getting all the information out to basically everyone, regardless of, of your background, uh, to make sure that everyone is educated on how to handle ourselves during this uh, pandemic? Yeah, I think we need to engage all um, public platforms and media platforms and really also focus on multicultural um, media platforms, radio and TV. 
we know that a significant proportion of uh, you know Canadian population relies on these multicultural medias for critical information. So it's really important to engage these medias and they often tend to also be community uh, ambassadors, a lot of the representatives from these media groups, and they tend to have a lot of influence on the community. So I think really partnering with them and using these really important platforms for public engagement and communication is key. Um, I think it's still not too late because we're still in the middle of a second wave and um, we also need to work on an in- inclusive vaccine strategy um, and provide uh, adi- you know, adequate and appropriate accurate information to the communities. So I think it's still not too late to use these uh, community ambassadors in form of multicultural media. And uh, just as a, a final question uh, from me, um, uh, the... Um, uh, you know, obviously, as a doctor, I mean, I, I assume you, you've you've actually encountered uh, you know cases of COVID and, and people suffering from it. Uh, and, and one of the things that's occurred to me, you know, this is this is some a question that's somewhat off topic, but but I want to ask it anyway. As you're the first doctor we've had on, um, the if there was anybody listening to this podcast who still has doubts about the the dangers of covid um uh, I, I feel often we're, we're talking about faceless people we're talking about people with long-term care we're talking about communities and it's so abstract that that's part of the reason people can't seem to grasp the dangers involved mm-hmm. um is there anything you can speak of uh, from your experience as a doctor that would sort of help uh, emphasize why it's so important that we do do everything to, to flatten, well, to flatten the curve seems almost like an obsolete phrase now, but to uh, reduce the mountain. <laughs> yeah, um, I what I can say is that I, uh, as a resident physician, I have worked in ICU um, back in March, April, and I've um, treated COVID patients, um, continue to do so as well now as a surgical uh, resident. Um, and I believe what I have to say is that, you know, sometimes you don't take some things seriously um, until it really hits you um, and comes home. But that's not sort of the philosophy when it comes to this um, disease or the crisis we're experiencing. So it's really important that we follow the public health guidelines and precautions. And when the time comes, take the vaccine um, to really um, to take care of ourselves and our loved ones. I've treated I, I, patients in ICU, like I said, and also, uh, you know, my friends and people that are known to me um, have been admitted to ICU with COVID. And it's really scary when that happens. Um, and really hope that everyone follows the guidelines um, that are by public health and take appropriate uh, precautions. Absolutely. Yep. Well, um, I'm going to say that's, a good note to leave our uh, our episode off with. So I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Brar for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much for your insight. And hopefully uh, we start seeing uh, some people in government hear this episode and take note of what you're, uh, what you're, what you're saying today. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you very much for having me today. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. 
You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Kids. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy catch us on, on the dean blundell network or on our youtube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do, do.